friends, Romans, countrymen, let me your ears, ladies and gentlemen. You are tuned to the MC Lars podcast. It is episode 69. It is December 23rd, 2019. And this episode has been brought to you by the following Patreon Larsians, Angie Rush, Peter and Scott, some of the old school ones, and shout out to the new school ones, Christopher, Jonathan, and Ryan. Thank you all for supporting. If you sign up and support me on Patreon, you get two new songs a month. You get the opportunity to call in and be on the show, and you get a free shirt. You get access to my entire back catalog. You get access to my close to 100 Patreon songs, and it's just awesome. But uh, yeah, I just wanted to shout that out. Or if you want to gift it for a friend for the holidays, a year of MC Lars Patreon support. It's all good. I appreciate you guys, and I can't believe this has been my first full year doing the podcast. I started mid-2018, and we've been going all year, and uh, it's been awesome. So we're at episode 69, and uh, I am talking this week to Majatron. Now, I've talked to a lot of artists who were in the Nerdcore for Life documentary, which was a 2008 documentary by this dude, Dan Lamoureux, which got some attention because the um, back in the day, YouTube used to have a quote, homepage. So the trailer was on the homepage and it got like a million views and uh, the film premiered in some festivals and it was kind of like an introduction to nerdcore for the world. And the other documentary is the one about Frontalot, which is kind of really just focused on him. I'm in both um, and it was a long time ago, so it's interesting to go back and see what changed, who's still in the game, and who's not. And I've talked to a lot of people on this podcast who are in both documentaries, but specifically in Nerdcore for Life. And this week is no exception. Majatron, who used to go by Maja, and back in the day he released an album called The Amalgam Project, which was cool because he would rap in Japanese, talk about Transformers. It was just a really interesting eclectic record and uh, it was cool getting to know major over the years and if you guys have the digital gangster lp there's a picture with whitey cracker me and majortron sound checking on a stage at an after party after one of the premieres of the movie so uh, majortron took a break he was doing some other stuff then he's come back with some banging music and at the end of the interview we play a remix we did of his song hyrule which is awesome. And he uh, invited me to do a guest verse on it. And that's going to be coming out later next year on Spotify. I think it comes out on New Year's Day, actually, on Spotify. But you hear it first on the MC Lars podcast. I want to promote some shows I'm doing. I'm going on tour this February, but I'm playing some holiday shows. I'm playing December 29th at the Oshman Family Jewish Community Center in Palo Alto with Charlie Musselwhite, who's a legendary blues harmonica player. Then I'm doing a set with my full band at first night, which is a New Year's Festival in Monterey. And uh, that's Tuesday, December 31st, New Year's Eve. I played pretty much every year since 1998. There were a few years I took off, um, but I haven't played for the last few years, but I'm so excited to be back for first night. And um, it's it's a, it's a really cool festival and they treat me really well. And yeah, so please come see that if you're on the Central Coast looking for something to do. Then I hit the road with Schaefer the Dark Lord and the Double Clicks for the Baby Yoda 2022 campaign trail and double clicks are on the last week of shows but here is the rundown we play boston february 5th brooklyn february 6th philly february 7th baltimore february 8th carborough north carolina the 9th winter park florida the 10th i'm sorry the 11th uh atlanta georgia the 12th austin texas on valentine's day dallas texas the 15th oklahoma city the 16th the riot room in Kansas City, the 17th, Minneapolis, the 18th, uh, Chicago, Cobra Lounge, the 21st, 
then Lakewood, Ohio, which is like Cleveland, the 22nd, then Ann Arbor, the 23rd, then Columbus, the 25th, and then we end the tour in Rochester, the Bug Jar. So check it out, nerdcoretour.com for tickets, and I'm going to have some really cool merch, and um, I'm going to have a secret code word. If you listen to the podcast and you say the code word, I'm going to give you a free surprise at merch. It might be a CD. It might be a shirt. It might be a drawing. I don't know. Depends how I feel. But the code word is going to be at the end of this podcast. I did that last time. It's kind of like a cool thing for my listeners. So stay tuned for that. This is my interview with Majatron, straight out of Arizona, doing it right. Uh, be sure to keep your eyes peeled for our upcoming single and be sure to check out his video for Hyrule on his YouTube channel. All right, here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm here with a man who's been doing this a very long time, who I've known for over a decade, and I haven't talked to in a very long time. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to introduce Majatron to the podcast. Woo! Hey, thank you, thank you. It's been a long time, time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it has been. It's been It's been a minute, a hot minute, um, and it's legit. It feels good to be back, bro. It feels good to be talking to everybody and talking to you and reconnecting with everybody. I remember the Amalgam Project. I probably bought it from you at the Nerdcore for Life premiere, I think, right? Yeah, in San Francisco. I, yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. 2009? Yeah, it was either there or Nerdapalooza. Yeah, those two were very close to each other in like a short period, yeah. weren't they? But I do remember going to the Nerd, Nerd, Nerdcore for Life uh, show and I think screening. It's been a long time, but yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny because I was going through my clot, my um, I was like moving into a new house and uh, and I still have your uh, like one of your CDs. I've still got one of random CDs. Like I've got like it's just kind of cool to kind of like open up a box and be like, oh snap, that's legit. Like and I never want to open some of this stuff because you know like it's got sentimental value. So oh, still shrink wrap maybe. It's still shrink wrap, bro. Woo! Yeah, I still have. Wrap. I have. I have black materia. Shrink wrapped. I got. I have one of your albums shrink wrapped. I've got Chafer the Dark Lord's album shrink wrapped. So, you know, I'm just never gonna open them. Gosh, a lot of my older ones are out of print. Like physical media has becomes an artifact, right? And it's like games. If you seal it, maybe it'll be worth a ton one day. Right. I think I got that 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 same mentality. Like, don't open it. Don't destroy <laughs> it. Don't mess with it. Don't scratch it, or else it's gonna lose value. Yeah. Like I had. Um. I had a fan reach out to me. And he was like, hey, you know, Major or Majortron, I uh, lost your your CD. I, I have the case, but I need your CD. Can you like send it to me? I'll buy it again. And I was like, what? All right. So I hooked him up. But it was like, it was like, it felt like that artifact. Like I I don't think they're any more available on uh, like on Amazon or on CD Baby mm -hmm. or anything. So the only versions that you can get that are physical are going to be from me. I got a box of them that <laughs> I'll, I'll be peddling at shows, bro. So the cover of the album is, what is it, the Golden Gate Bridge or is it the Bay Bridge in the background? I'm from Northern California. Like elementary school was in Hayward, California. And uh, then high school was in Dublin or Pleasanton, California. So mm. further east. Because that album was all about combining things that maybe don't usually go together. I I would say you're the first rapper I heard who ever like really went hard on the Japanese culture references and like had you heard of nerdcore when you were doing that and like what was your whole journey? No, it's kind of funny. I was talking to somebody about it the other day. So 
It was almost like I did that Transformer song. That's what started it. Before I had released the Amalgam Project, I did a song called Transformer, did a YouTube video. Somebody picked it up. I think Ain't It Cool News or whatever picked it up. And then all of a sudden I had like hundreds of thousands and then million hits on that video. And so all of a sudden I was like, I, I, people were like, man, nerdcore. And I'm like, what? What's, what is that? And so then I kind of feel like I stumbled into the nerdcore scene. I, it's like a pocket of the internet that I didn't even know existed at first. And then all yeah. of a sudden it's like, oh, there are, there, are, there are legit, like a lot of people that are into the music, a lot of people making the music, and they're good. So um, it was one of those things that it really did surprise me. Like I thought, yeah. I honestly thought I was the only person kind of really vibing with Transformers and stuff. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, Rhyme Torrents, oh, uh, you know, there are, you know, everybody seemed to be in tech at that time. Um, and mm. like, there are a lot, it seemed like there were a lot of people that had tech jobs, um, or were very technical that were putting out music. Um, yeah. so, but at that time I didn't have a tech job and I just, I, my only connection was the, the upbringing, like the, the, the video games and stuff like that, that connection. But I was like, man, these guys are legit. Like, they're super technical. I don't know what they're talking about. Torrents? What's a torrent? You know? So when did the Transformers song come out? Was that like 08? I want to say it was like 07, 08. Yeah. Okay. And then maybe the... Um, maybe me want to check it now. Um, and then the Amalgam Project came out that year or the year after. Cool. And you were... Where were you living when you dropped that then? I was living out here in Arizona. Um so I actually moved to Arizona like right after high school. So mm. dating myself here. So like basically around 2001, I came out to Arizona. Um, and so I've been, so that's where I was releasing music and that's where the video was shot actually. Oh, the new one. Well, yeah, the new one was shot in, in Phoenix, but Transformer uh-huh. was also shot in Phoenix, Arizona around downtown Phoenix and around mountains and stuff. What I like about your stuff, Majortron, is... You put yourself in these stories, in these pop culture things. And that's cool, man. To be able to to use uh, the things you're passionate about to help tell your story is, I think, a much more interesting exercise than just telling the story like verbatim. You know what I mean? Without your relationship with it. And I think that's like always the challenge with nerdcore rap is to to overcome that hurdle. You know what I mean? Like mm. of just referencing things. <laughs> You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, you know, because, you know, I did a song called Anime or Anime, Anime Miru, Miru Toki, or like when I watch anime. Um, and when I did that, like, I'm just dropping references left and right, right? Like, that was the first time I'd ever done it. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's like, all of a sudden, I realized, yeah, I try to fuse my personality or my upbringing, my childhood, my, like, all my stuff into, you know, the music as well. Um which, yeah, it's like you said, like it's something that's, uh, I think it takes, takes some courage and some vulnerability to, to really, like, like to really do that. Because I realized like there's a reason why certain, certain themes or certain anime or certain video games really resonate with me. And for me, I'm really introspective. Like I do a lot of self-reflection. And so when I started asking myself, well, why does Zelda matter so much to me? Mm. You know, that's where I'm like, oh... There are some emotional, there's some, um, there's some similarities here. There's some feels going on here that, that I hadn't seen before. And then when I make those connections, then I can really connect and then do a, do a record on it or write poetry or spoken word on it or something. 
Yeah, that's cool. And that's so we're the same age because I graduated high school in 2001 hey. also. That's what's interesting about like the future is kind of manifested a lot like, have you seen Ready Player One or do you know that yeah, book? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where, where we have this common tro- these common pop culture tropes, Zelda, Mario, uh, Transformers, and these properties that have been reinvented, but that kind of, that was a, our childhood was a golden age for pop culture, for sure. So like, yeah. if you can reference this stuff in a personal way, it, the dope thing is young younger people can relate to it too, because people know what Hyrule is, that people know about something that was so topical has kind of become timeless, you know, with the nerd culture. Yeah. I think that's one of the things like, so when I took a step back from music to, to do other things and to kind of, I don't know, I think I, I took some time away to recharge, to uh, do some leveling up in some other areas of my life. Um, I kind of, I guess I started to develop that idea that, well, when I come back, it's going to be so much harder because maybe the things that I like to talk about, no one's going to like, it's just not going to be hip anymore. It's not going to be legit. Nobody's going to really know what high rule is. But just like you said, what my, what I've been surprised about is like, there are kids right now in college that are writing papers. Somebody, a fan of mine was just telling me he's in a class right now. People are writing papers about why Zelda is important to them or how it changed their lives and how, Mm. you know, and I'm like, what? Like, yeah. And that's like, they're like 20, you know, you know, 18 to 25 year old kid. Like, people that are out there writing about this stuff because it's still important. It's still relevant. So I was like, all right, well, that gives me some hope that my message out there is, is, isn't going to fall on deaf, deaf ears. You know what I mean? You have a new record dropping, right? Soon. Uh, sometime in 2020. Yeah, for sure. This is a million dollar question. Like where the hell has major been? Um, so yeah, um, I basically, all right. So about 10 years ago, what have I done? I have, so I went back to school. I went and got a degree. Uh, um, I got my bachelor's in counseling, actually. Mm. Um, and I, at that time, I was rapping back 10 years ago. I was rapping, doing music at the same time, trying to make it so that music was my full-time thing. Um, but I couldn't seem to, like, I really couldn't seem to, like, gather up enough confidence to make that jump. Like I saw like random, I saw you, like I saw, you know, front a lot. I saw other people making that jump, but I was like, man, I just, I wasn't ready. Um, and so what I did was I said, okay, I kind of want to figure out how I can like change my current career, which was like horrible. It was in, I was in sales and I was like doing mm. tech support. Basically I started going, like I had been going to school for a long time and hadn't decided on a degree. I was a Japanese major at first. And then I was like, nah, that's not, I'm not feeling that. And so I jumped into the counseling route because it actually, that's something actually that I did after doing music for a while. So I really, what I was finding is, is that I was putting out tracks, putting out albums. And I think that there was a amount of like expectation that I would have, or I was trying to make it big. And what was like that wasn't happening in the way that I was like raised to believe that was supposed to happen. Like some guy, some A and R exec is supposed to hear me, and then all this magic's gonna happen. Next thing I know, I'm gonna be like Kid Cudi or Kanye West. Like that was like the the naive or like that message that I had in my head. So I can tell you that because I did a lot of like introspection, a lot of um, I jumped into some therapy and stuff like that just to kind of get my mind right. And in that, I found oh, there's a there's an opportunity for me to help other people as a counselor. If I can counsel others that who may be stuck in the way that I've been stuck in the past, if that mm. makes sense. Yeah. Um, 
And so I went back to school, got my counseling degree. Um, but it's so funny when I graduated, I ended up jumping into a tech job because unfortunately, like I couldn't afford to live off of the salary that I would have. So I ended up getting an opportunity to kind of be in tech. So I'm a, I'm a, I'm a quality engineer now. So I do code, I do testing, software code, like software testing and stuff. Wow. Um, so that's how I pay the bills now is I'm a software tester. I've been doing it for about five years. Um, and, but my counseling, my counseling experience is never, it's funny. I thought, man, I'm wasting my degree, but actually all the things that I've learned through my experience over the last nine years or 10 years has made me a better employee, made it, I've been, uh, you know, a better leader and like has helped transform my life in a lot of different ways. And I think it's helped me come back the way that I'm coming back, like the comeback mm. with high rule, like I really wanted to come back with something that was honest and that's really spoke to what I've been through because I think, yeah, because I think that when I was performing and I would, so back in the day when I would be on stage, um, there were moments where like I'd be major Tron on stage and then I'd get off stage and start talking to people and they're like, man, like how, you're not a rapper or like what nationality are you? You're not even black. Like they, you know, they'd be like, are you really black or you know, I would hear things that were really hit me, like, like I wasn't good enough or something, or like I wasn't believable. And I started to believe that message. And that, that kind of started to overshadow all the other fans that were out there saying, like rapping my lyrics at the, at shows, um, telling me how much they love me and how much they love my music. Like all of that negativity was able to outshadow, like overshadow all um, of the positive stuff that was going on at that time. So I think I, I, mm. I yeah. So I feel like I'm kind of going all over the place. Am I making sense to you? Yeah. So what was it? Was it an LMFT or like, what was your certification for counseling? So my degree is, um, it was in counseling, counseling with an emphasis of addiction. Oh, wow. So I actually, so after I graduated, I had a choice of either like going the route of like, getting licensed to the start doing like start doing it professionally. But yeah. I knew like you have to you have to work in the field for two years before you can even get licensure. So I said, okay, well I kind of said I hit the pause button on that path and I was like, okay, well I can come back to this. And then mm -hmm. I jumped into my tech my tech job. I was like, there's gotta be some other way that I can help people faster. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah, I was like, I don't think I'm ready to do like counseling full time yet, but I definitely enjoy like working with people and coaching people, just not ready to do it forever, if that makes sense. What was the training when you got into the tech side? Knowing the right people is definitely uh, critical. Like um, I found I had a friend who was working at a company that that gave me a shot at it. Um, wow. So I basically was like, look, I had the sales experience. I had the uh, help desk or tech um, uh, like tech support experience. And what I'd found out is that in those roles back then, I was actually doing testing. I was just doing it informally. So mm -hmm. like the company would be like, hey, we have a new website out and we want you to go and see if you can, you know, look at the website and tell us about it and tell us if, how it works. So I'd be, I was actually testing right then and there, but I didn't realize it until, you know, until I started looking into what QA was or quality assurance was. And I was like, oh, I've actually done this. So I kind of like was able to package that all together 
and interviewed. And I was like, if you guys give me a shot, like here's all my experience and here's how it makes me make sense for what I do. I got a keen eye for like what's not working. Um, so let like let me try it. And I did. And they're like, it was a success. It was like one of the best things that ever happened to me. Cause I was like, I don't know what job is going to be that job for me. You know, like what job was really going to be able to pay me well and then also have me actually have a, a, a lot of fun. And so, so you enjoy it. I do. Um, you yeah. know, it's a challenge every day. Um, you know, it's actually, it's kind of interesting. You know, um, yeah, it's like, it's kind of funny how when I get into complex or really complicated or d- difficult situations, it's it it reminds me of, some of the challenges or some of the hardships that I had when I was doing music. And that was what kind of made it hard for me to ignore it, like to ignore releasing music. Cause I've been mm. making music at home that I'm like, I'm never, I can never release this. Nobody's going to be le- like, think that this is legit. You know, like I've been making music. I just haven't been releasing it. So mm. it's like, that's the beauty of like, of my, of like all the int- introspection and self-reflection I do is at some point I was like, Oh, well, I'm conquering all these demons and all slaying all these dun- like in these dungeons, destroying stuff for in this in my career. I'm like, this feels just like music did. Why am mm. I not slaying demons over here? So, you know, it's just kind of like after doing that, making the becoming aware of those those patterns. I was like, oh, okay. Well, now I I don't. Now it's time to start releasing music because I'm in a situation where I feel like I can release music just for me. And hope and hope that other people like it, and not be kind of like, to not have my self worth determined by how many likes it's got, how many views it has, because that's I think what kind of got me at the beginning. You can look to the crowd to soothe you, and look the adulation can like help calm you, but that is such a mercurial like contingent thing on so many factors beyond just the music, and even to a degree how you can plan for the business that. It's um, it can really take a lot of the fun out of just being like in the studio and and writing. And I think that the goal to any anyone who's been doing it as long as like you and I both have is to to reclaim that right, the joy of the storytelling and and to stay passionate about music and especially hip hop in general. Like those things are it's a challenge. You have to work at those things because if you don't, what's the point, man? Right? <laughs> right. Like if you're not having fun, then why? Like. Why? Like, why? Why are we putting ourselves through it if it's not if it's not if it's not working for us? I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's just it's just so crazy. Like, I'm just thinking back about like how I think, you know, I don't know if you have um, if you relate to like having that internal critic, right, or being a perfectionist at all. But that's something that back then, like I, you know, and even to this day, I still struggle with to the point where it was like I would be on stage rapping. And I would notice, like, I would, like, I would see people on stage, like, I'd see people walk up in the crowd, and then they, like, they'd walk away. And, like, they walk, like, they'd see me, they'd listen to me for a couple bars, and then they'd just walk away. And so, back then, I would think, my mind would be flooded with, like, what are they thinking? What could they be going through? Like, Mm. you know, how are they, you know, I would come up with a laundry list of all this stuff. I call it my fortune teller telling me about all the stuff that's really going on in people's minds. And now I've realized, oh, 
there's a million things that could have been happening for that person that listened to me and walked away. He could have walked away and been like, oh, let me check this dude out on iTunes or, mm-hmm. you know, let me check this dude out on Spotify or, you know, oh, hey, I got to make a phone call real quick. Like there's so many other things that are outside of me. But back then I was, I think, so focused on please like me, please like major, <laughs> you know, that it was just kind of like I couldn't focus on anything else. Yeah, I, I relate to that, man. Or they maybe like maybe they have to catch a Kept, their ride is there or they have to use the bathroom and it's a blessing that they're even there and that they caught you right yes every one person yeah and that's where it's like now i've realized it you know like i said it's taken some time like after doing my own therapy and like looking at like what's really important to me i'm yeah. realizing that if i like when i put my music out there like it's out there for consumption and People, anyone who, who listens to it, whether they like it or not, whether they're angry afterward or happy afterward, that's their oppor- like that's their experience, and it's not my job to be in that experience. I want to let my fans have, or have anyone who listens to my music, whether they like it or not, to have any experience that they that they have. Because I'm not rapping about stuff that's, I don't know, I don't think I'm rapping about stuff that's uh, that's easy. That's like just happy, happy go lucky stuff. Like I'm, I'm, ha- I'm, I think I'm rapping about some painful stuff. So, you know, I, whatever it brings up for people, I never know what it's going to do. Yeah. And you don't have, none of us have control over that because then it wouldn't be art, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Then it's like a food pellet in, in the brain of a lab mouse or something. Even then <laughs> you don't know. <laughs> right. It's like, you know, some, be- some people have hit me up and been like, Hey man, Hyrule's legit, man. I love Hyrule. You know, like Zelda, yeah, I played it, yeah. And then other people have hit me up and been like, bro, I I got bullied when I was younger. I really resonated with, you know, my teeth got broken when I was a kid. Like, or, you know, mm. da, da, da. I'm like, whoa, I was not expecting that much transparency to come from people, that much honesty. But that's like, that's why, that's why I'm doing it, to let everybody access or connect with me and connect with themselves in the process. Anyone listening, if you haven't seen the Majortron Hyrule video, it's on his channel, which has his old videos too. So yeah, yeah, be sure yeah. to jump on that. Um, but let's talk about it. And let's talk about how you met Richie, who did one of my videos with Megarant too, who's like a really great director. Shout out to Richie Picasso, man. He's legit. Um, yeah, like I got connected to him through um, my engineer, Felix, who bag of tricks cat. And then I met bag of tricks cat through mega ran oh and okay so cool that's how it's like i saw mega ran um i connect reconnected with him because i saw him at um the az hip-hop festival a couple years ago and um you just ran into him yeah oh. ran into him bro like that's awesome yeah i was like i saw him and i was like man i haven't been doing this for a while that's the thing like i saw him i saw him walking and i was like that was my moment i was like Am I going to say something? Because he doesn't see me yet. I was like, I can avoid talking about like, where, like, because I know what he's going to say when he sees me. He's like, Major, where you been, bro? Like, I knew what that was going to be. So I was like, am I going to have that? Or am I just going to like avoid it? And I was like, you know what? Screw it. I was like, let's do it. And so I, I went up, you know, I talked to him and he's, again, basically we went through the same conversation that we're going through right now about like, damn, where you been? Um. And so um, I was telling him that I wanted to get back into music and and release and stuff. And then he hooked me up with uh, with Bag of Tricks Cat. And so I've been recording stuff with him f- since uh, the beginning of this year, actually. 
That's tight. Wow. I would say maybe over the last year, I probably have cut like maybe 15 or 20 tracks. I'm in the studio recording Hyrule. Um, and I'm like, I was thinking to myself, well, like, what do I do next with this? And him and Random were like, or Mega Ram were like, you should do a video for this. Like, this needs to be a video. And so I was like, well, who who can we do? You know, who can we have sh- shoot a video? And so Richie was one of those options. And I, bro, I'm so glad that I I, I, I went with him because he's fire. Yeah. Like, what he was able to do was like with the imagery and the, the like the scene, like all the props that he used, like he was able to tell my story in a, in a way that was fresh. Um, and it just looks good on camera, man. Like I was like, yeah. man, like I'm feeling myself after watching that. I was like, everybody's got to see this video. When we did the Dewey Decibel um, video with him, we were in the library and he kind of just, you know, we didn't have a permit or anything, but we, he just kind of was creative with the shots. He did a, a he did a, drone shot which was like i'd never worked with anyone who'd done anything like that like i knew i knew that he was the right person for the job when he walks up to me with his ideas so you can tell when somebody's just doing a job whatever no matter what it is whether it's music whether it's engineering whether whatever you can tell when i think when people when when someone feels like it's a job to them richie listened to my track and he started talking to me about like all these ideas that he started having. And it was like, I could tell how happy he was and how excited he was. But when he showed up on the shoot and he was like, yo, Majortron, here's my idea on how to do this. Take your ideas, my ideas, and here's how I think it should work out. And by the, by the, as he's saying all of his ideas, I realized, whoa, he understands what I'm trying to talk, what I'm talking about. He gets it. He's vibing with it. And he's already crafted a concept that is congruent with what I'm talking about. So I was like, I just knew like, you know, legit, no joke. I was, you know, a little teary at the beginning. That's how it started out. I was like, man, I feel really good about this shoot now because Mm -hmm. he knows what he's talking about and he hears me. You can have somebody really tell you, yo, Hyrule, that's what's up. Like there's a difference in that vibe. He got that. Like, I, I think mm. he, I felt like he was really passionate about it. I'm wondering, how does it feel coming up like as someone, as a person of color, loving hip hop and gamer culture? Was it awkward or like? For me, I was the, I feel like in my family and in my group of friends coming up, I always felt like I was always a, like, I never really f- seemed to fit in. Like, it was like, I could go hang out with friends that, like, love hip-hop, but then as soon as I started playing video games or, you know, or started talking about Japanese animation or Japanese culture, like, I'd lose them. Right. So, I kind of think I ended up feeling kind of frag, like, always as a, as even from the youngest, I felt like I was fragmented. Like, I can't have, there's no community that really, back then, that really vibed with both. It was almost like the anime seemed to diminish the the hip hop stuff. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> it was almost like they couldn't coexist. So mm. I always felt like, well, how come I'm the only I felt like I was the only person that really vied with both things. Um where and then as a result, like I'd either in order to hang out with my maybe my hip hop friends, I'd have to downgrade my enthusiasm for anime 
or to hang out with my animators, I had to like downgrade my enthusiasm and love for hip hop. So, mm. and you know, that in itself becomes this thing. It's a hard, it's, it, it became a hard game to, to play. Like I'm basically trying to fit the environment that I'm in, but each time I'm giving a piece of myself up to be in both. And so that's why I told myself, if I do music again, it's going to be on my terms and it's really going to be all of me. So in Hyrule, I rap a little bit in Japanese, really small sprinkle. Um, I'm talking about video games. I'm talking about my, my, my history. Like I'm doing it all in one track. Um, yeah. So that's what I want to be able to put out is more music like that. So you felt like maybe there was this feeling from people that, oh, if you're doing anime raps and, and Japan, rapping in Japanese, it's not authentic hip hop, maybe. Yeah, like this isn't, this isn't, this ain't on point. Like, yeah, it's cool, but it's not. I think when I came up, hip hop was one of those things that you have to be hard. You have to be hardcore. You can't, you have, people have to be scared of you. And so, you know, you know or you have to be able to intimidate people. Um, that's, I don't know what hip hop is for everyone else. I'm just telling you what hip hop was, what it, what it, what it was for me when I was growing up. You know, when I'm listening to, you know, Notorious B.I.G. and I'm listening to No Limit Records and I'm listening to all this hard music, Trick Daddy. You know, I'm listening to hard music. Um, there's no room for. To me, there was no room for like Japanese animation. Like people are like, "What are you talking about? That ain't that ain't that's not what's up." Let me let me listen to I'll go and listen to No Limit is what I kind of felt like people were like, oh, hip hop, you can't really call this hip hop. So like I'm going to pass. And I kind of let those those types of I had heard it so much, I think, when I was growing up and as I was like a young teen, that message, those negative messages and lies just they I internalized them. And then later, as soon as like before I knew it, I was able to regurgitate that same stuff without anybody else being there. Mm, that's the, yeah, like the toxicity of other people's appraisals of what you're passionate about. Exactly. It's really easy to get stuck in these tapes and these negative things. And then kind of, if it's a tape, it's already a part of your reality. It took some time that I realized for me to realize, oh, I don't have to, to think this way. <laughs> like this actually isn't reality. Because I would talk to you, or I talked to Mega Ran. Y'all are, you know, have different you know different upbringings different experiences and so it's it's it has it's nice to connect with other people and also hear how they came up or what they went through um mm. it helps me understand that how i came up is not the same as everyone else and so it helps me assume less and 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 just focus on what is and what is not that's that poetic hey. no, that's that's <laughs> awesome man um and what's also interesting, so the Amalgam Project then, like even the title of, to go back to your older record, it's like fusing different things, right? Bringing together your passions and, and the different worlds. And so there's something like, there was something like literal in that name. I yeah. Imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. My, I was like, I don't know what this music is, but it's literally Japanese anime. It's video games. It's hip hop. It's truth. It's all together. It's an amalgam. And I was like, all right, well, we'll just call it the Amalgam Project. Bam. You know, it was like, okay, what's yeah. some word that really like sums up that things are mashed together? And for me, it was things that don't normally go together. Um, and so that's how I was like, okay, yeah, the Amalgam Project. 
I do think I kind of had, I think the Amalgam Project, I had more of a chip on my shoulder when I was recording those tracks. I think there was a lot more anger from me mm. because I think at that time I was, I was angry, but it was like, I don't think at that time I was ready to follow through. Like I was angry and I had a chip on my shoulder, but at the same time still wanted everybody to like me. Whereas now it's like, you can't, <laughs> it's really hard to, to try and be aggressive, but then care about the people that are hurting, that you hurt. Like what kind of bully, like, what is that? How does that work? You know, it's kind of like the opposites. They're just polar opposites. You know, like when I would, yeah, it's funny. I would get in fights, you know, when I was in high school or whatever, and, you know, at some point I got sick and tired of people like towering over me. And so when I started fighting people back and I, you know, like, and I would hit them, like, and I would hear how that sound and how that would sound. And then I would feel it. I'm like, man, I don't want to inflict pain on people. This is horrible. So yeah. it's just one of those things. Like, I don't, I don't want to hurt anybody. Um, and I think sometimes, um, I think if I... That's why I don't do battle raps and stuff like that. Like, it just makes no sense to me. And I, I don't know. I hope I don't get canceled or dragged for saying this. But, like, if I could find a cipher of people that are just rapping about loving things or about, like, just their love for things or what they went through. Yeah. That's great for me. But if I got to cut, like, I did some battle raps in the nerdcore scene back in the day. Me and Zealous won. Never hey. again. Yeah, Z one. Shout out to Z one, man. I wish I wish the Sleeping Dragon would come back, bro. He needs to come back one day. We signed up for some like nerdcore rapper online battle. Oh God, I hope that it's been purged from the internet. But like, I didn't even know what how rap battling worked really. So like, I was making tracks. Like, I made a hook. You know, yeah. like, like you know, here I wrote a sixteen bar diss for like. I don't even remember who I was dissing. I wrote the diss and then I was like, hey, let's throw this hook on it. And then Zealous was like, I don't think they're supposed to have hooks on them, bro. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, but this is good music. Ship it. Yeah. <laughs> we got dragged so bad, bro. They're like, what kind of rappers, what kind of battle rappers put hooks on these? And I'm like, it's good music though. So it's horrible. So you're just supposed to rap over a beat and then, eat and then upload it? Yeah, yeah. Rap over yeah. a beat, upload it, and then the like, and have it be about like two other, like another team of rappers that are doing oh, the okay. same. And so I would do it, and then you know we, yeah, right. Well, that's a that's a uh, mark of a thoughtful, mature person, right? To like realize that what do they say? The definition of insanity is doing the same thing exactly, but expecting different results. Yeah, it's interesting, Majortron, how. All this stuff you're talking about that like you start that you rapped about 20 years ago or 10 years ago. Now, Lil Nas X and like all the biggest rappers are able to be more sensitive. It's like you kind of have to reference anime and do videos love it if you want to be like modern and the SoundCloud stuff it's it's just like your stuff was so ahead of its time. It was almost I mean, unfortunately, and maybe fortunately, a little too early. Right? It's like, I was the, uh, maybe I was like a prophet saying, here's what's yeah. coming. You know, like you go back and listen to like, who is it that they say like Nostradamus or somebody was like, in the, you know, in the future, there will be birds in the sky with people inside them. And people are like, ah, oh, this dude is derp. And then now we got airplanes. You know, it's like, maybe I was major Domus. Yeah, there we go. Major <laughs> Domus. Hey. Um, but yeah, um, 
it was it's been interesting because now, like you said, it's everywhere. Yeah, all these ten, after going through ten years of Marvel movies and stuff like that, like the stuff <laughs> right. that. The stuff that was novel, to, like that I thought made me different, that's now mainstream. So, you know, so it's like what I realized is that like if I, like nobody's going to tell a story like I'm going to tell a story or nobody's mm-hmm. going to tell a story like you, Lars, is going to tell the story or like Mega Ran or, Fe- or Bag of Tricks Cat's going to tell the story. And so that's the part. That's what helped me realize, oh, it doesn't. Like people are listening to me because they there's something about my message or about my beats or something that really resonates, and so they're connecting with me. Um, so that's a good feeling. Like it helps me. Like when I was in the studio recording Hyrule, so it was me, Mega Ran, uh, Bag of Tricks, Cat. We were all in the studio, and um, you know, Hyrule was going to be a lot longer of a track. Like right now, it's like a it's a two minute song, right? Yeah, um, yeah. But when I originally made the demo for it, the dim like it was twice as long, basically. Mm. And I remember Mega was like, "Hey, like I know you're trying to like write more of a like more like more verses for this." He's like, "But I think it sounds legit, just as it is. Like you just leave him like let people. You don't have to explain yourself all the time." And so that was really helpful for me to realize, oh, okay, I'm just going to put it out there and I don't have to explain everything that's going on. I think that's a, like a, that's a cool skill that I now have of like realizing, oh, I could just say Super Saiyan, some, you know, like I don't have to explain myself. Um, and so it felt good because that song is nice and short and sweet. Um, and, you know, it 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 was collab. It was, it was nice getting the feedback from Felix back or from Bag of Tricks Cat from Mega Ran on it, um, because I was really like not sure how it was how it was going to turn out. So, yeah, man. And now songs are are a minute and a half, two minutes. Like pop songs are short, and that's just because of the Instagramification of pop culture and and attention spans and it allows you to honestly have more chances to do a bunch of short songs it's just as much time but it gives you more opportunities to get people's attention and tell your story and i think now more than ever less is definitely more right like when it comes to that stuff yeah you know then that goes to show you like when i say i took a hiatus like i i I was uh, like not really listening to a lot of of uh of hip-hop to know what the trends were um, so when I was, so like Mega Ren and, and Bag of Tricks Cat, they're like, yeah, bros, songs are legit short now. Right. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> two minute song. That's okay. But I was like, but wait, like, you know, but then I felt it. Like, I was like, okay, you know what? There, it is short and sweet and I'm going to put it out and see, like, see what the feedback is. Only one person has told me that it's too short for them. If it's shorter, then more people are going to watch the YouTube video because like when you see a link, when someone see a link and you're like, oh, seven minutes versus mm. two minutes, I think people are more likely to watch the latter. I got into, I didn't even know I could write. Um, I was in eighth grade and um, I redid some, um, I took a Biggie, a song that Biggie did, a couple songs that Biggie did. I mashed them together and I rewrote the lyrics and I like made it, at the time he was alive, y'all. Okay, so I made a comedy, like a parody rap um, of some of like notorious BIG stuff. Mm. Um, and I was like, Oh, like, I think I just did something pretty cool. Like the whole school, like the school loved it, but I was like, I didn't know I could really do that. Um, and so 
at that time, I when I started rapping, rapping like writing like seriously, um, it was I was listening to a lot of Notorious B.I.G. Um, I was listening to um, a lot of No Limit. So I would keep, so at my household, BET was on a lot. So um, oh yeah, Missy Elliott, Timbaland, Magoo, um, uh, like Master P, Silk the Shocker, like around basically like '97. That's that's my year where I say like for me, music was like some of it's like it was an era. '97, it was beautiful because there was a lot of good music that I really gravitated toward, like Super Duper Fly. When Missy put that out, I was like head over heels with like with Timbaland and Missy. Such an interesting period because it was between the kind of the West Coast dominated stuff. And it was like other pockets of the country were being able to be heard. And I think that's that hip hop was very interesting musically. Like, yeah, you're right. Master P and Timbaland, like the Southern hip hop was bubbling up and it was very cool. Yeah. Trick Daddy. That's another artist that like there's something about like their beats were legit and, um, you know, and you're right. Like I came up during the East Coast, West Coast. Me being in California at the time, that's not the place that you listen to Biggie. You know, but right. there's something about that flavor that he had and his beats and his, you know, his cadence and his voice. Like I was like, that was the first. That was my actual my first rap, like cassette, <laughs> I had. It was Notorious B.I.G. Get Money. Ah. Like I bought that. It was on a gold. Like we talk about. Like you had that gold. You have the gold plated, gold plated um, uh, uh, Nintendo cartridge. But yeah. that that cassette was gold itself. Like it was Ooh. also gold. And I remember like buying it from <laughs> the record store or wherever it was where it was at, and like smuggling it back home because my mom. I didn't want no one. I didn't want my mom to see that I had it. So what was your first song? Like your actual like non parody song that you remember writing like original i remember writing a song called in my mind and in that song i was rapping about all the different things that i was like i was really inspired by masterpiece um one of the one of these like they maybe master p was one of the first rappers that i really liked that was like talking about what they were so mystical do you remember i don't know if you like oh, mystical? Yeah. unpredictable i oh, love that my record God. so like there's this track that uh, that they did that where they were talking about what I am. Like I'm, you know, I'm the I'm the buzz and the bee and I'm the building. And the, it's like 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 I'm yeah. the livid ant. Like it, <laughs> what I'm trying to say is that I took the, I like that idea, and maybe that that could be like the foundation for transformer, right? Because I'm rapping about me being a transformer. Because what I really mm. liked about in my mind when I made that track, it was like I'm a, you know, I'm here are all these things that I'm really not. But here are these things and here are all these metaphors that describe who I am um, using different images like birds and, um, you know, I don't even remember, bro. But I think that was one of my first tracks that I wrote where I was like, here I am expressing all these things that I that I feel like I am in my room. That was legit bedroom music in my room, not letting anybody else listen to it. Being like, this is this is this is the jam right here. It's cool you've been able to incubate your art on your own terms, and you're coming back with that yeah, fire. I'm, I'm that glad flavor. I didn't. Thank you. I'm glad I didn't blow yeah. up back then. So like, I was almost on MTV once. Like, I had never told anybody that. Oh There was wow. a show on MTV called The Cut, and where you go on and like you perform and like you might get a record deal. And I sent them Big Money Maker. I sent them the. I actually 
sent them like in my mind, I sent them those tracks that I almost forgot about that. And they were like, yo, I want you to be on the second season. Like, I think you can win this and blah, blah, blah. If I had made it then, yeah, there would, there, I think I, there's a lot of incubation that would have been missed. A lot of marination that needed to happen in order for Hyrule, music like Hyrule to come out. And you um, may have been in a, a deal where you were like had to put out certain music and be shelved, which is like what happened to so many artists of that era. You might get an advance, but didn't always work out well for people in, back back in the day. I, you know, was in a group at one point. I don't remember the, the name of it when I was in high school. We like we were rapping on some like regular hip hop track, and I started rapping about like I was always weird. I was always rapping about magic and dragons and swords and you know, ice spells and <laughs> fire spells, bro. And like, but, yeah. but my friends were cool with it. Cause it sounded, I think I was able to pull it off, you know, on the music that we were, that we are working on, but it did definitely stick out. You know, they're like, why is he talking about, you know, conducting fire and like blowing things up and dragons? Like, what is this dude? That's why Wu-Tang were so interesting because they were able to come with all this Kung Fu and references and, and like talking about stuff that was, different and they had the skills and the production was interesting and like that's why especially that first wu-tang record is so interesting because it was surprising and my point is like sometimes yeah having that like element of surprise and weirdness is an asset they're good models for you know what can happen if you put out content that you appreciate like regardless of what what you think the norm is in the whole zelda franchise do you have a favorite game Yes, I do. Um, it's gonna be. It's got to be Ocarina of Time. I, many people cite that as their favorite, huh? Yeah, you know, I feel like it had the right elements of everything. Like the story was legit, the gameplay was fire, um, replay value was high. Like I was, I was invested. I was vested in that one. You know, it took me a while to get into Wind Waker, even. And I think Breath of the Wild is kind of like that for me. I think maybe years from now, I'll go back to it and enjoy it when the hype is, you know, as the hype dissipates from it. It's much more open world, isn't it, than the other ones? For me, when I play video games, I'm not doing it like, as you hear in Hyrule, I'm not doing it because I want my, I want my video game to be just like my life. No. Yeah. I don't want to be in a, play a video game where if I save that old lady at the beginning, then it changes the whole end of the game. Like, no, I want to know. <laughs> Make it simple, make it linear, because I'm actually playing these video games to relax, not to feel right. like I've got to make life and death decisions. As soon as I see a dialogue box pop up with like, you know, do this, do that, do this, do that, like I want to just shut it off. Not to say that. <laughs> so, of course, you know, Zelda Breath of the Wild isn't like that, but the world is so big that I'm like, how am I going to like? I don't play 40 hours a week. Like, how am I going to yeah. find all the things and all the artifacts? And I'm like, nah, it's too, it's just too stressful. I can't do that. You know, they did the VR version oh. and, and I heard it was kind of disorienting for people. Yeah. I tried to play Skyrim in VR. Yeah. <laughs> like that's when I learned that like the body, the body can disconnect from the mind. Like I was, I was playing Skyrim in VR and I kid you not, I guess I hit something wrong um, on the control and like my avatar started to run and my body started to fall, <laughs> fall oh, backwards. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh, this is too real. Like I got yeah. to stop this. Um, yeah, I couldn't imagine playing Breath of the Wild though in, in VR. What's great about that series is that 
it really was the killer app for each Nintendo technology, right? Because Mario was always the kind of um, the mascot. But the Zelda games, they're all very different for each platform. And I think they all play up on the strengths of each. And um, yeah, it's, and it's going to be interesting to see what happens. I hear they're doing a sequel, actually. Um, like when Wind Waker came out, when I was young, um, Wind Waker was about to come out and they had released some footage of like a Zelda. They're like, here's the, here's a screenshot of the next Zelda game. And, um, and it was, did not look like Wind Waker at all. It was not Toon Link. And so when I saw Toon Link for the first time, I was like angry because I was like, I don't want Toon Link. I want like legit, I want this to look more realistic. I don't want this to look less realistic. But now going back, like, that was a genius move because I appreciate that game now. Like, I appreciate what they did there, the cell shading. That was a new thing. Mm. Um, You know, I kind of, I applaud Zelda and then also Final, like, the Final Fantasy franchise for every game. Even if it makes people angry, like, they switch things up every time. And I think a similar franchises ninja turtles have always they always get reinvented every few years right and they always look different but in doing that keep captivating the new generation it's made those properties kind of timeless you know yeah which i think is cool yeah it's like it's it's cool to see that and to know i can talk about things and people know what i'm talking about i don't know it's a good feeling they just may not know it like i know it or like no they haven't played ocarina of time but they have definitely played breath of the wild so they all know what Hyrule is. <laughs> That's what's up. Yeah, or Ganon or Or Ganon, Link. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I've got some 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 love some love joints. I'm getting shy, like even just talking <laughs> about it. It's so dirt. So I've got a track where it's like romantic, but I'm talking to, like using Final Fantasy as a vehicle for that. Um I've got some music that's hundred percent, almost hundred percent in Japanese. Oh, cool. Dropping some Lord of the Rings references in some of this, some of my stuff. Um, some Marvel references, um, I guess more Zelda references too. You know, I've been in a dungeon, like getting, like leveling up every time I, you know, learn more about myself or, you know, level up in some way. So it's a good metaphor for me. Yeah. You're breaking out of that dungeon. Yeah. And I, and I actually do uh, some singing now. So I do, I rap, but I also sing. And that's been another part of me that I haven't really shown people. So messing around with it, like that's me being creative and like playing around with different stuff. Majortron, where can we send the fans to follow you for updates? On Instagram as uh, Majortron, um, my YouTube page, um, and I have a Facebook page too. So everything is like at Majortron or slash Majortron. So for my Facebook, it's slash Majortron, but it's M A J A. T-R-O-N. I always thought it was tight when you, on your album, you would major, like Sega. Gotta keep, like the video games will always be a part of me. You know what I mean? (laughs) Maybe we could debut our remix on this. Hey, what's up everybody? You are about to hear uh, the premiere of the Hyrule remix featuring MC Lars and Majortron. All right, check it out. And be sure to check out Majortron's on social media and look forward to new music in 2020. All right, thanks, man. Good to talk to you. Yeah, likewise, man. Appreciate it. Talk soon. How rules my Bible? 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 It takes quick.
Quick books and sick hooks leave these kids shook Though I mistook certain kickbacks from these cookbooks Made a quick buck off a twitch should I've asked myself if Hyrule were a place non-suicidal With the Triforce, yeah, that's vital And my life force on that vinyl If I go alone, that's dangerous Cause I can't maintain that painlessness And I feel like Link awakening A wild breath, that's everything Cause the OED was my AED With, with Majortron, plotting strategy Kinda strange when you just look back and think I Ten plus years flew by in a blink, that's Hyrule. Hyrule's my Bible, Hyrule's my Bible, Hyrule's my Bible. Hyrule's my Bible, Hyrule's my Bible, Hyrule's my Bible. I turn my life into a video game And I'ma keep leveling, leveling up to the sky and there ain't no ceiling And so give me the baddest, baddest, the baddest bosses I ain't worried about what the cost is I done studied all my losses Come out at night with the losses And what I found was repetitive etiquette Keeping me hesitant Denying all of my evidence But now I'm feeling in my element The Triforce is my testament So now I go hard with these bars I flew up to Cali, got Mars We stay aligned like the stars and that's how it's been from the start How rules my Bible 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 What a great song. Thank you for being on the podcast, Majortron. Thanks for collaborating with me. Right now, we've got the MC, the MC Lars, Lars Patreon, Patreon Larson of the of Week. The week. This week, we got Andrew in Philadelphia calling in with a story. Hey, MC Lars. This is Andrew calling in from Philadelphia. So I haven't seen you at a show yet, but I plan to fix that the very next time you tour. So instead, I'll tell you about um, hearing your music. So I don't know what led me to your music, but somehow I landed on the video for Flow Like Poe, and it changed everything. From there, uh, it's been a slow burn. I've been buying a CD here and there. And recently, I found you had a podcast. And then that's where I really turned the corner. I felt like I was really getting to know who you were. And that made me a true fan. From there, I joined the Patreon. And it, I tell you, it feels good, man. It feels good to contribute and to, to help support someone who really deserves it. And so thank you for everything. Um, and that's, I mean, that's it. So anyways, thanks again for everything that you've done. And I can't wait to see you on the show. All right, bye. On a scale of one to 10 of niceness, that message was definitely a 10 out of kindness. Uh, the messages are all nice, but Andrew, that was particularly nice. Thank you so much, man. That's cool. You found me through Flow Like Poe and that you discovered the podcast after that and you've been following and supporting, and uh, thank you, man. Hey, uh, so you said you wanted to come see me. So, February 7th, hit me up. If you can make the show in Milk Boy, I'll put you plus one on the guest list. So let me know, and I'll, I'll hook you up. And I sent you your shirt, so I hope you enjoy it. Um, if you want to be on the podcast, maybe get free tickets to a show. <laughs> I just added that, but that's now part of it. Um, sign up on the Patreon. There's a phone number you get when you sign up, and uh, then I'll play your message. And I'll send you a free t-shirts. It's pretty easy. So let's end because Christmas is Wednesday. What? Oh my gosh. Let's end with a Christmas song. This is a song that I did that was on a punk rock Christmas compilation. 
And um, it's a song that a lot of people who maybe don't know my other music are familiar with. Um, <laughs> and it's called Santa Cause. It's a punk rock Christmas. I wrote a song called Gary the Green Nose Reindeer. Blink-182 is on this album. Uh, Fall Out Boy. It was a really cool thing to be included on. So this song is my Christmas song, and I thought I'd add a little flavor. Nerdcoretour.com for dates. Patreon.com slash MCLars. And I uh, hope you all have happy holidays. I'll see you next week for the final episode of the year with Carl, who runs Oleo Entertainment, who I've worked with for many years. He put out this gigantic robot kills with Jarrett from Bowling for Soup and uh, great dude. So Carl's next week. Thanks everyone. Enjoy. In a magical land, in a magical town, Santa and his magic elves are hanging around, building magical toys for girls and boys to deliver to the world and bring Christmas joy. The reindeer are snug in their snow-covered stable, while Santa puts turkey on the dinner table, but a mile away, huddled in the snow, Gary sits scared as the Arctic winds blow, alone on his own, forgotten and lost, surviving on roots and the permafrost. Dreams of joining Santa's team filled Gary's head, and he'd walk by the stable when they had all gone to bed. He'd tap on the glass, the reindeer would laugh, cutting Gary's self-esteem, in half. He was Rudolph's half-brother, unplanned, unwanted. By his father's indiscretions, he would be forever haunted. Gary the Green-Nosed Reindeer, Reindeer. was of unexpected birth. But one year he saved Christmas, Christmas. and he proved to them his worth. All of the other reindeer, reindeer used to laugh and make him cry. They never let poor Gary, Gary fly with them up in the sky. In a big dark castle on the other side of town, Osama bin Laden was wearing a frown. With a bat on his shoulder, decked in a black cape, he devised a new plan to make America shake. He said, I'll destroy Christmas, here's what I'll do. I'll kidnap poor Rudolph as 9-11 part 2. The West will quake when their holiday is gone, then I'll rule the world like my name was Exxon. He snuck into the stables so he could steal. Rudolph and he left in his jihad mobile. Santa found out the news and he said, oh dear, Rudolph's gone, there will be no Christmas this year. The yells began to cry and the sky turned gray. But Gary heard the sobs walking by the day. He shared Rudolph's DNA and had someone to say. He said, I can guide your sleigh and make everything okay. Santa said, who are you? Gary said, I'm Rudolph's half-brother. You can tell because my nose is green instead of red. Santa said, whatever, just put on this harness. So then one happy Christmas Eve, Santa came to say, say, Gary, with your nose so green, won't you guide my Christmas sleigh? Then all the reindeer loved him, loved him, and they shouted out, hooray, hooray. Gary, the green-nosed reindeer, reindeer, thanks for saving Christmas Day. And the toys were delivered across the world, bringing Christmas joy to every boy and girl. Osama was fed up and led Rudolph go, and their brothers reunited in the North Pole snow. Rudolph said, hey Gary, I'm sorry we laughed, and left you forgotten, like President Taft. We know it made you cry, we're sorry we were mean, we'd like you to join our reindeer team. And that is how Christmas got its colors, from the red and green noses of the reindeer brothers. You may see them flying high on Christmas Eve, bringing gifts to little kids like Stacy and Steve, and Dennis and Cindy, and Claire and Louise, PlayStation 2s and Green Day CDs, but not a for Osama as they say in Espanol, no GameCube's in his stocking, now Santa brings him coal. Gary the Green-Nosed Reindeer, Reindeer, was of unexpected birth, but one year he saved Christmas, Christmas, and he proved to them his worth. All of the other reindeer, reindeer, used to laugh and make him cry, they never let poor Gary, Gary, fly with them up in the sky. So then one happy Christmas Eve, Santa came to say, say, Gary, with your nose so green, won't you guide my Christmas sleigh? Then all the reindeer loved him, loved him, and they shouted out, hooray, hooray, Gary, the green-nosed reindeer, reindeer, thanks for saving Christmas Day.
You waited until the end. Thank you. The secret code word is Leprechaun Montana.